Of course, many of you are aware that we all experienced a great loss yesterday. Adam Schlesinger, uh, co-founder of the beloved band Fountains of Wayne, uh, passed away uh, yesterday uh, at 52, way too young, uh, from the COVID-19 virus. And uh, a lot of us were really saddened and devastated to hear this news. Um, Adam was uh, just a brilliant guy, brilliant guy, loved music, loved comedy, um, had been nominated or won almost every award you can conceive of uh, in his career. And um, of course, Fountains of Wayne, a spectacular band. And Adam was a lovely man, really was a lovely man. And I'm thinking of him today. I have many memories uh, of Adam because he came on my late night show, I think about six times over the years uh, with Fountains of Wayne. And uh, I'm thinking of him particularly on one occasion. It was right after 9-11 and I was trying to get my show up and running again and very difficult to try and get a comedy show going under those circumstances and how do you do it and looking for people to help. And Fountains of Wayne came on the program and they performed a cover of the Kinks classic song, Better Things. Adam just loved and worshiped Ray Davies and the Kinks and they performed Better Things that first week we came back after 9-11. And it was such a special moment then. At the time, I couldn't imagine a better song for people to be listening to than Better Things. And now here we are, and Adam has just passed. And once again, I can't think of a better song for these times than Better Things as performed by Fountains of Wayne. Um, we're gonna show that to you now. And I just want to give uh, all my love and support and good karma to Adam's family, all of his fans, and his friends. Here they are, Fountains of Wayne, Better Things. All right, everybody. Uh, my next guests are here to perform an old kink song that seems especially appropriate in light of what we've been living through for the past two weeks. Here to perform Better Things are Fountains of Wayne. He's wishing you the bluer skies Hoping things get better for tomorrow Hoping all the verses rhyme And the very best of choruses too Follow all the doubt and sadness I know that better things are on the way He's hoping all the days ahead
Thank you. Thumbs away, everybody. We'll take a break. Everybody and welcome to the Nightfly Podcast with me, your host, Dave Justow. Coronavirus edition again, the special edition. I mean, if the Today Show can have every day be a special edition, then I mean that's the thing. I mean, are we ever going to want to play these back? We're not going to ever want to remember any of this time. But uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to not talk about it? Or what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Anyway, here we are, uh, taping on a beautiful, beautiful, lovely Saturday morning in New York City. And uh, again, you know, look out the window, blue skies. And uh, how could anything be wrong on a perfect day like today? Coming out uh, Tuesday, I believe, April 14th. And how are you? Right after a very strange Easter and a very strange Passover. And uh, what would normally be... Baseball season, opening day. I really don't care. You know what? If they um, don't do baseball ever again, I think everyone's fine with that. Except people my age. No one cares. Make it go away. Maybe we don't need four sporting uh, things. Maybe we can get rid of baseball, right? People seem to like basketball. They obviously like football. Probably go either way with hockey. I just like hockey. But baseball, who gives a shit? It's too long. It's too boring. No one cares. I mean, they're, they're, they're planning a bunch of stuff, maybe doing uh, switching the divisions around this year and just having them all down in their spring training camps and stuff. That's what they're planning. Anyway, who gives a shit about that? Hello, everybody, and how are you? And welcome to the Nightfly podcast. And here we are once again, uh, coming to you live from the Just Out compound. And, uh, you know, in, a, in very strange dealings and goings-on. Now, obviously, uh, up front, we played uh, the very, very sad Conan O'Brien tribute to Adam Schlesinger because he is dead, and he was our friend. He was the Nightfly's friend. He was on the podcast. He, We talked about them on the podcast. I mean, you know, I was, you know, I was planning on doing a tribute today, but I, 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 I already did a tribute while he was alive before he even was a guest. You know, normally I keep doing tributes for people that are dead, but I did one for him while he was alive. That's how much he meant to me, and I was trying to explain to you. In fact, the name of the podcast that uh, I did before before I was even close with him on November 13th, 2017, if you want to find it, it's on Spotify, or if you go to acast.com, uh, tw- November 13th, 2017, I called it That Thing Adam Schlesinger Does, and for about a half hour... I explain what makes him so amazing. And uh, and then, uh, you know, we had him in around Christmas. Um, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, you can't really search for it, I don't think, or maybe you can, I don't know, online. But, uh, for, you know, funny, because then we did uh, a podcast on October 23rd, 2018 called Good Times with the Monkeys, talking about the monkeys 
album and the upcoming Christmas one. And then we had him in, and it's called Christmas Party with Adam Schlesinger on December 4th, 2018, where we went track by track on the Christmas Party uh, Monkeys album, the second Monkeys album. And, uh, you know, so if you want to go back and listen to those, I was going to repost them, but there's a, maybe I'll, I'll put a special one together with him in the studio and the stuff I was talking about him because you know, you're talking about Christmas songs this time of the year. Well, like again, maybe it's not a horrible idea, but it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, I already did a tribute to him with all that stuff. And quite frankly, yesterday I was going over a bunch of stuff and I was just getting sad. I couldn't do it. Mike Sauter was kind enough to not only send me the Conan O'Brien clip, um, but also um, a Rolling Stone article that came out yesterday on him and an interview with his brand, other band member and best pal Chris from Fountains of Wayne. And then there's a whole other article on you know what made Adam so interesting and cool. And I don't know. I started to get sad, let alone I started playing this song from um, the movie Music and Lyrics. And then I just got really depressed because, I mean, this... It's like uh, last week when Gabriel played that thing you do on the ukulele, Mike Sauter was saying it's like, you know, now it, it gives this this whole song kind of a depressing vibe and it's such an upbeat song, but the ukulele makes it depressing, let alone, you know, it's a, it's a, he was such a, uh, I don't know, you know, whatever, but. Anyway, this particular song, uh, and I'll I'll just play it because you, you got to understand this guy. This is what this is what you could do with this guy, Adam Schlesinger. Clearly, clearly, and we've again we've talked about this before. So he writes the song that thing you do uh, gets nominated for an Oscar for it. I don't know. I think we've been over again. I I can look it up again. I don't know how he lost because it's. <laughs> This is one of those songs. I mean, what is the point for giving an Oscar for best song unless you give it to a song that really captures the moment? Like, uh, you know, like Titanic, you know, like that song, whatever that Ceylon, D, Ceylon Dion, whatever the fuck her name is, song from Titanic, you know, that works and it, you know, makes sense and you hear it, you know, it's Titanic, you know, that kind of music. So I don't know how you don't give it to that thing you do which just you know is the movie i guess because it's just oh sorry it just it's just a joyful movie it's not nothing really horrible happens in it so people just get oh we can't give it to that's too much fun but this is a guy that i mean they had you know tom hanks didn't know who he was he's now you know tweeted and said you know i couldn't have done it without him but clearly and i think we talked about it with adam Somebody came up to him and said, I know, he, I know he won a contest with it, but somebody said, um, we need a song that you can play over and over and over again in this movie and you never get sick of it. He's like, no problem. And then he came up with it, right? And then uh, that's pretty much, I guess, what happened with this movie, Music and Lyrics, with Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore. It's a, it's a lesser known romantic comedy, but still a, you know, a good one because, you know, you know how much I enjoy Hugh Grant romantic comedies. And clearly they came to him and they said, we need a song. Adam, what we need here is a song where Hugh Grant has just lost Drew Barrymore and he's going to make this big romantic romantic comedy movie gesture. He's not going to rush to the airport, 
but he's going to go at Madison Square Garden, and he's a has-been, and he, he's he got this one chance to uh, make a comeback with this, you know, like a Britney Spears, like at the time, performer, and she's going to let him profess his love to Drew Barrymore, who's in this audience of, you know, tens of thousands, and he's going to make this one romantic romantic gesture to win her back, and we need a song that fits there in the audience that's just something he drew up so it's it's a very simple song he's not a great singer but the lyrics are all there and the song is so prolific and great and again you get that adam schlesinger let's take it to where this song goes to another level whether it's a key change or whatever it is and it goes up a little bit to make it just better than the rest for me to find words to go along with a melody but this time there's actually something on my mind so please forgive these few brief awkward lines since I met you my whole life has changed it's not just my furniture you rearranged I was living in the past But somehow you've brought me back And I haven't felt like this since before Frankie said relax And though I know Based on my track record I might not seem like the safest bet Don't write me off just yet For years I've been telling myself the same old story That I'm happy to live off my so-called former glories But you've given me a reason to take another chance Now I need you Despite the fact That you've killed all my plans And though I know I've already blown more chances Than anyone should ever get All I'm asking you Is don't write me off just yet Just yet. I mean, I I don't want to start off. I mean, we got enough sad stuff going on in our lives, but uh, you know, Jesus Christ, does that take on another level now that he's gone? And uh, what a what a an amazing songwriter. You know, he can give anything because he can give a a song like that, which totally, you know, really sets the tone if you you know you watch the scene with everybody's reactions i you know i dare you not to be moved a little bit even though it's a little silly and then you can write such a joyful song and that thing you do or stacy's mom and a pop hit and and then you know you can you can put together a super group with uh a, a guy from the smashing pumpkins 
the, the little kid from Hanson and the drummer from Cheap Trick and write a song like this. This is a good song, and I never remember. I mean, nobody even heard of Tinted Windows. That was the super group band. I think they made one album and just had this song. They toured a little bit with it. This guy knew how to write a tune. I mean, we already know that, so it doesn't really matter. But um, really, oh my god, he was so amazing. And then, um, you know, I was thinking, you know, Sarah had written that Silverman that they used to fight like brother and sister, uh, you know, because they were working on the Broadway show The Bedwetter together. And it's funny, I was talking to my friend Bob, and, you know, he also used to write and be best friends the way he is with Sarah, this girl, Rachel Bloom, who is the creator of my crazy ex-girlfriend, um, and they were going to do The Nanny together on Broadway, had the exact same relationship, apparently, because Bob told me they used to fight like cats and dogs all the time over the music. And it's funny when you think, I mean, this guy said to James, who the hell are these comedians to tell Adam Schlesinger what to do? Who the hell are these kids with their nonsense? What are they fighting over? Just let Adam do what he wants, you know? Uh, but he liked to work and collaborate with everybody, and he just liked working. He was a complete workaholic, as if you read that Rolling Stone article, it just says he liked to work on like a dozen projects at once. That's why he couldn't even stay in one band. You know, he's working on the band. He's working on movie soundtracks, working on TV. I mean... He was the consummate uh, professional in the sense of just, I like working, I like creating. And again, yes, last week we were talking about, with Mike Sodder, the true perfect trajectory, really. You know, when you see him, if you go online and look at a couple of his videos live, you know, like, for instance, even um, after Stacy's mom, uh, you know, where they became, they mentioned how Chris did not want to put that song on the album. They, uh, they wanted, uh, what is it? Uh, they, they didn't want to put it on the album. Chris didn't want to put it on there because he knew it was a hit. They knew this was what they were going to be known for forever because that's how catchy it was. They're like, if we put this in the album, this is what we'll be known for forever. I mean, they, they knew. And Adam's like, who cares? This is going to be awesome. And so they fought for it. They really weren't going to put it on. But I was like, you got to be kidding. This is a, so what if we're known for this big deal? Cause he had, I guess he had just such other higher aspirations. He really didn't give a shit. 
And they put it out, and it's funny, if you watch some of their earlier videos from their first two albums, they're so tiny and small, like a, you know, they take place in one room, and they're very poor. And then it's funny, as soon as you see um, the Stacy's mom, you know, Stu Stacy's mom becomes big, their second song is called Mexican Wine. And if you look at the music video, it's so funny because it's so, there's so much production. Cellular phone explosion. They scattered his ashes across the ocean. The water was used to make baby lotion. The wheels of promotion were set into motion, but the sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be yours if you'll be mine. Tried to change, but I changed my mind. Think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine. Yep. Well, you knew that was going to pick up. Oh, aren't they good? <laughs> but this video is classic because it's them on a huge yacht in the water wearing white suits and having all these beautiful girls in the background, which is why they were so cool because all their songs and lyrics are funny and they didn't take themselves seriously. But it is funny. They clearly got the big budget thing. It reminds me of that SCTV episode with Bob and Doug McKenzie and then you know, they become so huge and NBC gives them, you know, as a joke, NBC gives them a, a primetime special and then they're all of a sudden in jackets and ties and suits and this is what it reminded me of. But I was glad that I actually, uh, you know, it's funny when I think about it, uh, I was lucky I got to see them and, you know, before I knew Adam at all, before I even was, I mean, besides Stacy's mom. I got to see them in concert, you know, before we were friends, they opened for Squeeze, and I told you about that night, it was, I was never so hammered in my whole life, the only thing I remember is when they all, you know, came up, the three lead guys came up to the stage and were singing, and I guess Adam was on the right, and I thought he was the guy in the middle, I thought he was the guy singing all the time, and then when I met him, I'm like, that's not the guy I remember, <laughs> but I remember they were so good, they were so fun to listen to, uh, and a great opening for Squeeze. And they used to open for Cheap Trick all the time, which is why they found that guy, Bunny, uh, whatever his name is, uh, from Cheap Trick to using the super group because they're all about power pop. And that's what Dave Juskow loves. And that's why he also likes Cheap Trick. It makes a lot of sense. And they're funny and didn't take themselves seriously. I mean, it's just really, it's the exact kind of group I should have been in if I had any musical talent in being able to play an instrument properly. Um, but again, as we were saying, like, what a trajectory this guy had. He's a rocker. He's in this this group that's just, you know, good enough where they're not, you know, because sometimes if you're in, if you're the police or something like, you know, it's hard to go further. They're in a group that's just, you know, not huge. They have one, they're pretty much one hits, wonders technically, you know, even though if you're a fan, you know, all their stuff. They got like five albums over like, you know, 10 or 15 years. And then he just moves on to television and movie soundtracks and then Broadway. And again, who knows what he would have done next. And someone you're 52, you know, you 
you know, you're not trying to be the, he wasn't trying to be the rock star anymore. You know, it's smart. He like grew up perfectly, which is why it's just uh, so weird that he's gone. Remember also he was, did promise to uh, write me the, uh, the whatever, whoever knows what the theme song would have been for me running for Manhattan borough president as uh, now, I know he meant it for real, and we talked about it last week, that I thought it was more meant like this. This is the site of the old Astor Hotel. What the hell is in Bayou La Batria? Shrimping boats. Shrimping boats? Who gives a shit about shrimping boats? I got to buy me one of them shrimp boats as soon as I have some money. I made me a promise to Bubba in Vietnam that as soon as the war was over, we'd go in partners. He'd be the captain of the shrimp boat, and I'd be his first mate. But now that he's dead, that means I got to be the captain. Our shrimp boat captain. Yes, sir. A promise is a promise, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> now hear this. <laughs> Private Gump here is going to be our shrimp boat captain. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Gilligan. The day that you are a shrimp boat captain, I will come and be your first mate. <laughs> if you- I mean, that's exactly what I keep maybe you saying. The day you run for Manhattan Borough President, I'll write you a song, all right? But no, he, he meant it sincerely. He was serious about it. He was a great guy. And you know what's even more great is that in the Rolling Stone article, they Chris says, you know, the best thing about becoming friends with him, you knew you were friends with him once he texted you or called you and said, let's have dinner. And that is exactly what happened to me. I have the text uh, when we were in Los Angeles last time. And he's like, let's have dinner. And when I read that, I was like, oh, my God, we really were friends. I mean, obviously we were, but I'm just saying it really was. You know, I forgot about that, too. We had dinner. You know, I mean, we were friends beyond, uh, you know, just meeting him through Sarah. We became friends on our own. And, um, boy, he really was a terrific guy. And I don't know what the story is with this coronavirus. It it reminds me of the, the Holocaust all over again in the sense I'm like, how come the Nazis aren't dying, you know? Why are they taking the good people? I don't hear about any assholes dying. You just hear nice, kind people dying. I just don't get it. Now, what are we supposed to think of if the Nazis were able to live to 102 and 103 down in Argentina and live pleasant lifestyles after the war when everybody else, I mean, including all the Jews that survived, were pretty poor? Like, you didn't hear of any Holocaust survivor. We've talked about it before that they were actually happy people you know afterwards after you know which is surprising for after you'd think they'd be very bitter and angry but they were happy and led very nice lives but no none of them were ever rich rich you know and uh i don't understand where these nazis were able to live until ripe old ages when everybody else was dying so it feel like it's like again you know why isn't the managing partner from my old firm dead how come why or uh, you know, and he's not a bad guy. I'm just just an example. I wouldn't care, but like you know, why aren't the the villains dying? You know, uh, I I can't think of anybody offhand. But well, you know, how come Harvey Weinstein doesn't have the virus? I know they said he might, but he's probably still going to live. You know what I'm saying? Like, how come these guys aren't getting it and dying? Why are they taking the good, really talented people? So on that note, also my friend Vic Henley. Did not die of the virus. This is separate, actually, so it has nothing to do with that. He, my friend, comedian Vic Henley, he died of, uh, you know, something else. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you in one second. I just wanted to um, 
anything. I just want to say just one last thing about Adam. I don't even know what it is. It's just um, he really was just a sweet guy. I mean, really, it's just uh, amazing. I was listening back to the podcast with the monk. That's why I realized I'm like, eh, I'm not going to. I could do it again because you just see how nice he is and pleasant person. And it was all real. You know, there was no, there was no lies. He didn't, he was just a nice guy. And again, I'm sorry. That's what we were talking about. I mean, uh, they were playing a clip on 60 minutes last week about these Holocaust survivors that are getting this AI treatment. I don't know if you ever saw the, uh, the movie The Time Machine with Guy Pierce, I believe it is, and Jeremy Irons. You know, they've done it before, but this one, this particular version, he ends up, you know, in the 8000 AD by accident. And they have this library, which you can ask the librarian questions and he answers. And it's all, you know, programmed from many years ago, the historical archives. And that's what they were doing to these Holocaust survivors. They would spend a week with them set them up to these electronics, ask every question they could think of. And then they've been testing it where you're at a, you know, space or a college campus and you can ask them any questions, even though they're dead, maybe at this point, and they'll be able to answer it, you know, just like, you know, AI of the future, uh, which was very smart by these people because, you know, they're not, you know, they're, all really old and most of them are going to be gone soon and won't be able to tell their story and you really need them you need the stories you know really so it doesn't happen again but but of course it does in simpler forms uh from Hannah and her sisters um speaking of which max foncito died recently as well but none of the coronavirus but um yeah so i was thinking you know these people who are holocaust survivors they must think that we're just such pussies. Yeah, this has never happened before. Yeah, it's mine. It's a little devastating because of the deaths. If you know somebody that's been dying like an atom or something, it's pretty bad. But compared to the Holocaust, it's just never happened to us before here in the States. You know, I mean, it's uh, the people who survived the Holocaust must be laughing. So what are you saying that you're uh, stuck indoors and you can't go out with all your electronics and, refrigeration and people are delivering food still and you know you get to play video games and watch tv and watch every movie ever made you're saying this is uh can't go out for a month and this is bad why um yeah which is why i was glad 60 minutes aired that because i'm like yeah let's let's take uh let's take a look at uh (laughs) of that uh, I think that's why they aired it. Like, well, let's look at another time that uh, really was about 10 times worse. And when I say 10 times, magnify that by 100. And, and that's why it was interesting when Queen Elizabeth gave a a speech last Sunday after we uh, were together. I, I mean, I know it comes out on Tuesday, but we were recording last Saturday. On Sunday afternoon, Queen Elizabeth gave a little a little two-minute speech. And boy, was she terrific. I got to say, she gave this speech and said, you know, and she never talks, right? So that's what the good thing about having a queen, like if we had somebody like that that never speaks unless absolutely necessary, it really means a lot. That's when you know things are really bad news, right? So this woman never, you never see her in public speaking. She tapes this message. It's two minutes long. 
And she says, you know, in 1940, my sister and I had to go on the radio and let all the children know they'll be okay when everybody had to be evacuated when they were bombing us in World War II. Um, and then it, and they showed a picture of the two of them on the radio, so you know it exists. It's like the picture spoke a thousand words because then you know, wow, she's right. I mean, of course, I knew she wasn't going to be lying, but the picture really you know, kind of spoke in the sense I'm like, oh, you know what? She's been through a lot of shit before. And really, again, if you got to evacuate and they're bombing your town, that is kind of worse. So although we kind of, you know, if we know a couple of loved ones who are dying and I know there, you know, there's a hundred thousand people dying, I guess, or something maybe, or maybe not even that much. Um, I don't know. That all seems worse if you're sitting there and you're getting bombed and you're sitting at home. You got to evacuate. See, we're at least we're hunkering down. You know, if you don't have the virus, it's it's a little bit more pleasant than having to leave your home or evacuate or uh, you know have to work in a concentration camp. So, you know, trying to think of other things that would be actually worse than this, and we have to you know really take take a look at. Uh, the past, even though I, this is just this is just one of those things that's pretty goddamn bad. It's just new, something that's never happened before. That's all. It's just new, and you know who knows if world wars and war were happening in all of our parents' lifetimes, then maybe this is the new norm in the sense of every couple of years we're going to have to do this because there's new a new virus or you know maybe a you know who knows who knows but. You know, it certainly ain't that bad sitting around watching TV. Again, we can we have we can watch any movie ever made at our fingertips. It's a pretty good deal, and we have electricity still. You know, and we can communicate through electronic items and see each other. It's not it's not that bad. Now, on the flip side of that, if I was talking to my friend that we had on two weeks ago, who works at the hospital. Uh, you know, I'll just tell you, it's Columbia Presbyterian uptown. Uh, I won't give out her name yet, although I think it's in the paper already because she was unfortunately quoted in the Times because uh, she was complaining about this hotel. And I guess I'll just tell you that, too. It was the Four Seasons Hotel, and uh, the CEO didn't have a plan, and he just opened 25 rooms. And then they were complaining, this poor girl, like she just wants a free room and board, but she was trying to do it for her friends that she knows are sleeping. She has a place to stay. But she's got friends that are sleeping in their cars, so she wants them to have a room. And then they spun it like she's just trying to get a luxury room. Now, it's funny because she told me that the Times was afraid to take on the CEO of the Four Seasons because they were afraid. They're afraid of him because he's a very powerful man. And they were right because then they spun it around and made her look like a jerk off. So... You know, sometimes we were thinking when Donald Trump says fake news, he might be right. Because if you if a news reporter, which would never happen years ago, is going to cow down because either they have some controlling interest in the paper they work for or this guy is so powerful that he's able to put a spin and make one of the nurses look like an asshole. Then maybe a lot of the news we're reading is fake news. I mean, we know the virus is real anyway. This poor girl wants, actually, I talked to her today, and she wanted everybody to know that even though it looks dire when you see these nurses crying, and they're not, I'm not saying complaining, but when you see them and all upset, that the people in the ICU 
are very relaxed and sedated and happy and they FaceTime them with their families if they're not sedated and up and they're not under duress. I mean, obviously they're not well, but they're not under the duress that a lot of the staff at the hospital is. And she told me to put the word out that they get to speak to their families and that it's not as as horrible as the news might make it seem. It, it is as bad for the nurses and doctors. That's a fact. But for the people that are in the hospital because of the virus, they're not, you know, in bad treatment ways. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So uh, she wanted people to know that. And uh, speaking of which, uh, I don't know whether you guys are doing it in anywhere else, uh, but in the city here at 7 p.m. every night, everybody goes outside their window and starts clapping and hitting pots and pans and being loud and applauding and screaming and shouting, thanking the hospital people and the first responders and those kind of people for completely continuing to work while this is happening. And quite frankly, uh, you know, a person there forgetting and i wanted to mention is the goddamn doorman in my building now as ridiculous as that sounds in the upper echelon of manhattan uh and that doesn't happen in other towns the doormen in my building have been coming to work every day and three days ago they just switched their shifts they just switched their shift they've been coming to work every day on the subway as bad as that sounds i mean they're miserable in the sense of doing it, but they're working every day they're not miserable downstairs they've all been very polite and friendly and it's amazing because i don't know how i'd handle going to work every day when i know everyone else is home getting on the subway from the bronx and traveling here every day and dealing with people but now they just switched to 12 hour shifts where usually it would be a seven to eight hour shift they've switched to 12 hour shifts where they're only going to work three days a week and that sounds like a much better deal to have four days off so that's a pretty that's a much better deal i think because i think the traveling was was killing them, you know, just going on the subway every day because nobody wants to do that. Can you even imagine? It's not just driving. Can you imagine in this, you know, what we're trying to deal with here and there's people that have to get on the goddamn subway every day and it's not spaced out. I don't know if you've seen pictures. De Blasio's like, we really need to space it out. Well, what are people supposed to do if they're essential and they don't have a chauffeur? You know, I'm sorry. And then there's not a lot of subway service that's been condensed. So what are people supposed to do, you, you dummy? So anyway, every night at 7, it's very exciting. I recorded it last night um, the best I could just with my phone. I just put it outside the window, and I want you to hear. Maybe you can hear at least what it sounds like a little bit. Um, you know, it starts exactly at 7 every night. This goes on outside. I'm on the 10th floor, so... It picks up around uh, 7 o'clock and 30 seconds. There's a lot of wind. pick up on it but it sure is pretty cool i mean you just go out everybody's out there and it doesn't start before seven it starts exactly at seven now that everybody's got 
their cell phones or their cable boxes that everybody knows exactly at 7 o'clock. I mean, it starts not at 6.59. It's exactly at 7 o'clock. Everybody starts. You can see people getting set up on their rooftops uh, and their windows before 7. There's a guy right on the left of me that's definitely on his rooftop with a pan and everything. He's there every night, and he's there at 6.59, but it starts at 7, goes till about 7.03, so it's not crazy, and um, it really is terrific. I haven't gone outside yet and checked it out. You know, I just, uh, you know, go out the window. I got drumsticks. I use those. I don't know why I'm not using a pot or a pan, but it really is terrific. Um, except last night when I was sleeping and it woke me up. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's funny. It's like an alarm clock. I'll be watching TV before I was thinking about it every day when it first starting. I'd be watching TV and I could hear, I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh, it's seven o'clock. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because you're not expecting people to be out. So you're not expecting that kind of noise or trafficking, uh, whatever, outside. And it really is great. And it really is a wonderful way to, you know, because remember, it's going around all over the city. So it's a wonderful way to praise the, the nurses and the workers and to also for everyone else who can see each other. And you're outside either on your terrace or just out your window. And we're like, you know, we're all inside so you can see people so that's even a great part of it so i don't know whether they're doing it in a, you know in the suburbs or anything I mean, i've talked to my sister and she says no uh i don't know why i don't know why all of america is not just going outside and making some noise you know it's really it's really great because you know my my friend is very miserable and she's not that kind of person and you heard her on the podcast two weeks ago this is it's getting to her and uh it's it's that's that's the bad part about this. Uh, this is their Holocaust, I guess. Again, still the Holocaust. Anyway, uh, when I was talking about the Queen, I was just saying the best part about the Queen, um, the message, and if you look it up on YouTube, is when she, you know, says uh, she's going off about the virus and we got to do this and we got to do that, and then she goes off for like, like one and a half minutes on how much she hates Meghan Markle and that is hilarious she goes and let me tell you something if she thinks for a second she's gonna take over my throne she's out of her goddamn mind and then she calls her the n-word this you gotta see this it's unbelievable no wouldn't that be the greatest thing that ever happened wouldn't you give anything if the queen just went off on Meghan Markle and how she's destroying the family oh my I wonder if that's since it's a tape message I wonder if there's a you know, when they sign off, she didn't know the cameras are on. <laughs> she goes, and then they, they sign off, and she goes, that ought to hold the little bastards for a while. <laughs> oh, i got to write that down. That's really funny. Oh, that ought to hold the little bastards. <laughs> yeah, write that down. Do that material when we come back and do comedy again. That's, that's, well, now we're back, huh? So we've done 50 minutes of sad stuff. Um well, there's more sad stuff I got to talk right now. Now, no, I, I was going to talk about my friend Vic, who's dead. He died. He died. So he, this fucking idiot who I've known for like 30 years, he, uh, him and his ex-wife were very friendly. And I was talking to his ex-wife Saturday and about what was happening. And we knew he was going to die. And he just, we thought he, had, we, we thought he had a heart attack. We're just, oh, thank God. It's only a heart attack. I mean, what, what world are we living? We're after, hey, thank God. Everybody relax. It's just a heart attack. You know, that's how bad things are. But um, no, it turned out he didn't tell anybody. He got hit by a car in January, uh, which is wonder. I was wondering why he missed my show, and he didn't tell anybody. 
and he was internally bleeding because I know this because he was told he told his ex-wife he was you know peeing urinating blood and he never got it checked never went to the hospital he's like no I just took a bunch of water and just cleared up so he was internally bleeding and then he died of a brain embolism I think it's called the blood a brain blood clot embolism something like that probably due to the fact he didn't go to the hospital after getting hit by a car he was shit-faced he was drinking more than usual he upped his drinking i think he was sad about a friend that he had just recently died that he was very close with and then he just upped it with drinking and uh and he died on tuesday he was a great guy and he was like jessica you gotta have me on one of them shows and he talked like that he was so funny and so again a really nice person and i told you you know me and his and his wife we used to hang out all the time i went to his wedding um he he was really good at uh storytelling and that was one of the one of my favorite stories that he told was he was um in the movie bruno you know uh sasha baron Cohen really liked him um in fact this was his scene in bruno when he was introducing straight dave So, so Vic is the announcer in that movie, and Bruno, he's in the movie. You can see him, and uh, Sasha really liked him a lot, and you know he helped write the movie. Although Jeff Ross told me that he actually coined the phrase "Straight Dave," I guess he was helping on the movie as well. Anyway, Vic has this great story, and I I don't really know the you know facts of it. I'm hoping to find it online somewhere. He just told it to me, so I don't know whether he ever did it in his act, but. You know, if you got drunk with him or something, he would tell you the story of filming the movie Bruno. And remember when in the movie Bruno, you know, with Sasha Baron Cohen, he would nobody was in on the joke. You know, you, until the movie came out, you didn't realize it wasn't real. So they have a you know a stadium people in Texas where this guy starts, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen starts making out with this dude, and people are furious and livid. These people that thought they were going to see a you know ultimate fighting match, and so they're pissed. And Vic is trying to get, I guess, his car. Something happened where he had to go through the parking lot full of all the people that they just duped. And these people are pissed and they're homophobic and really angry. And they see Vic walk into his car like one person and they're driving. They're like, hey, what the fuck is your problem? And they start yelling. He goes, God, I was just as surprised as you were. I couldn't believe my eyes. Like he was in on the whole thing, but he had to play along to save his life and not get beat. I was just as surprised as you were. And that story was so funny the way he tells. He was so good at telling a story. I mean, that. I mean, listen to this story. Just as talking about comedy. The best part about doing this is travel for me because I didn't really think I, I didn't think I'd be here and living here for 23 years. But I get to, I get to see places I never dreamed of. So I'm over in England working uh, a few years ago, and this is the weirdest thing I ever saw in a comedy club, hands down. All right, so I'm at the comedy store in London. It's a big club. It, it seats like 500 people. It's like a theater. It's tiered back. It's really huge. And uh, and when they introduce you, they have a big backstage area, so you just walk right out on the stage. You have a curtain. You come through, and you walk right out on the stage. So I know based on the 
schedule. I'm next. I'm hanging by the door, checking everything, looking at my watch. All of a sudden, sold out show Saturday night, 500 people, dead quiet, dead quiet. So this, you know, attracts all the other comedians. We run over to the thing. We're kind of peeping around. We're trying to figure out what happened. And we put it together somehow that the host of the show had used the word midget in a, in a story. He had said midget somehow, and that's incorrect for the people that don't know, and I didn't know. I'm from Alabama. I'm three steps away from... You ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. That's who I am. I'm not, I'm not cocky. I'm stupid enough to be president. So, yes, fully qualified to be elected something. It's little people is the correct term, and it's, uh, I don't know what the guy said, but uh, this lady way in the back of the crowd screams out, it's not midget, it's little person, and you're using a bigoted, prejudicial term, and I'm a little person, and I'm here with my friends, and we're trying to have a good time, and, you're, and she's just, just hammering the guy, right? So the whole crowd, it's just like dead, awkward, crazy silence, right? And we're kind of giggling a little bit backstage. We're kind of, because, you know, we're shitty people, and... Uh, <laughs> Being a good comedian, he's not really sure if it really is a little person he's offended. Could be a drunk that decided to just mess with the comic, right? So he's holding his hands up over the lights, and he's trying to look into the back to actually see. But sadly, it is a little person. It's true. And she's out of her seat, and she's working her way forward. And she's just continuing to hammer it. And she's like, and I came with like 10 or 15 of my friends, and we rented a limo because it's my birthday, and we're going to have fun. And you're ruining my birthday! Just, yeah, exactly. And it's just quiet and awkward. And you can see, like, sweat coming out on the comedian, you know, right? And I'm vomiting blood behind the door. I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I just, yeah, really, I almost masturbated. So, I was completely overstimulated. So, the minute she says that it's her birthday, he dives into, Happy birthday to you. And I'll be damned, everybody goes with him. The entire club. So it goes from weird, awkward silence to 500 people singing happy birthday to the lady. So now we're like snotting each other and high-fiving and we can't believe it. He saved it, you know. And I'm like, how good was that? He pulled it out. One of the other comics like, wait a minute. I don't remember him getting her name anywhere during that entire exchange. And sure enough, they get to the part of the song and they're like, happy birthday, dear. And all 500 people go, midget. Yes. Accept it. Yes, accept it. Yeah, he he was awesome. He had a great way of telling the story. That voice from Alabama. Just gal. Everybody knows just gal. Just gal is great. <laughs> he would say it all the time. So that's why he said it like that. Anytime Auburn won, you know, I would always call him up and because he hated Alabama. He hated the University of Alabama. He liked, uh, he was an Auburn guy. And I guess, uh, you know, you're either one or the other if you're down in Alabama. But he had that accent. It was hilarious. And he was a great guy. I know him for a long time. He used to have him on my shows. And we were friendly. And here's the worst part. So he didn't show up at my show in January. And I don't, that was weird. The next day, I'm like, uh, WTF. And he's like, what? You know, he's like, oh, I, I didn't know it was, you know, you didn't text me. Or I'm like, or, or SD didn't text me. I'm like, SD has nothing to do with it. It was all a bunch of excuses. And he goes, well, you know, I hope this won't discourage you from using me again. And I'm like, no, you have a month-long ban. Because I knew I couldn't stay mad at him. So I'm like, you get a month-long ban, and then we'll do it again. But I wasn't planning on using him anytime soon. I mean, he he just never called. He just missed the spot. You know, thank God Elon was there that night, and he filled in. And um, and so then in around the beginning of March, he called twice and I didn't pick up the phone because I'm like, what does he want? You know, like I was kind of upset still. And then I just, because he just hung up. 
I thought it was like a butt dial. And then he called again. So I think he was calling to apologize and tell me the story. And he was probably drunk. And I didn't take his call. And goddamn, if I had taken his call, I would have been able to speak to him one last goddamn time. And we would have had a good conversation. So kind of upset about that. The good news about Adam Schlesinger is that I clearly, you know, got to tell him how much he meant to me, even though he wasn't dying, and uh, how important, you know, how exciting it was for me or how endearing it was for me that we were friends. And I really, you know, really liked our friendship. I, I was lucky in that sense with Adam, but not so much with Vic. I mean, I think he knew how much I liked him, but Unfortunately, we left on a sour note because he didn't tell him. You know, then I found out the reason he was dead he got hit by a car. I didn't tell anybody. You know, he like, why didn't he just tell me I got hit by a car? I would have been like, I get it. No, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, that's what you want to happen. You know, it's like being in a, in a, uh, you're in traffic and you're like, what's going on up? Somebody better be dead up there. You know, it's like, that's what you want to hear if somebody doesn't call or they missed a spot or something. Like the time already missed a spot and, and I found out he got arrested. So, I'm like, all right, as long as it's not just getting high and, you know, forgetting. Uh, anyway, but he was a funny guy and he'll be missed too. My God, I'm sorry. It's so sad today, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? People are dying. Are we gonna, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But there's plenty more comedy we can do now to make ourselves happy for the rest of the show. I know the, the hour has been awkward. Because uh, you know you you tune to the podcast to get a to, to get a laugh, uh, sometimes a, a cry. If I'm, uh, it depends on the mood I'm in. But uh, you know because of what this is. Oh my God! I swear all these commercials like these are tough times. I'm like shut up. Don't, I don't want to see that in com- in car commercials. I don't see Jan from Toyota saying in these tough times. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. No one wants to see your stupid commercials anyway. Anyway, um, my cleaning lady has the virus. I just found out. I texted her on Tuesday, and I said, hey, how are you you feeling? Because remember, two Thursdays ago, she goes, I'm sick. I can't come in. She got tested and has the virus. So it's a good thing I didn't have her come over two Thursdays ago. That could have been bad. Uh, Did anybody have a a virtual Passover Seder? We had that on Wednesday night. Uh, Now, my sister emailed, uh, I'm sorry, snail mailed me the Haggadah. The Haggadah is what we read from. It's a little booklet, if you, you know, if you're not Hebrew, uh, that you read from at the Seder, like a, like a prayer book, except this is a, a kid's one. And you read from it and everybody takes different parts and you talk and it explains the story of Passover and you read it uh, twice a year because there's usually two Seders. And my sister has been holding the using. We've been using these prayer books for about twenty years now. They're, they're children's prayer books. It's horrible. I said, let's do a different one. If I'm going to lead the seder, and she's like, no. You know, she was going crazy ballistic. This, Beth has gone insane. She has um, something is wrong. I've told you this past couple of weeks, and of course, she was making herself so crazy and so stressed about stuff about the prayer books. Or, you know, just uh, we talk about Billy and the play and not getting the lead that she ended up getting kidney stones, stressed herself out so much. So I wasn't crazy. Something is wrong with this girl. Anyway, she e- she mails to everybody who's going to be part of the virtual Seder, you know, my uh, cousin Sharon and Aunt Judy and my mother. She mails everybody out of Gata's 
maybe on a week before, maybe, or maybe even that, yeah, maybe like the Tuesday before the Seder on Wednesday, a week before, which normally would be plenty of time. And I told her, I said, Beth, this is a bad idea. I don't get mail. My mail system stinks. And I tell people all the time, it will take me longer than most. You know, people call me all the time. Did you get, you didn't get it yet? You didn't get it yet? My mail system stinks here in this building. And now it's even worse. Now the mailman just stopped coming. He didn't come for the last three days. He just gave up. He's like, he's like Newman. He's just storing it somewhere in a, in a holding area or whatever. He just, he can't, it's like in, uh, uh, Goodfellas. You know, we didn't end up getting mail at all anymore after that. Yeah, the mailman just stopped coming. So I finally got it yesterday, which did me no good. But yeah, it was, it should have been here a week ago and I didn't get it. And I warned her, I warned her, I warned her, I warned her. She just would not listen to reason. And I have to fix my chair because I'm so eating so much starch. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just so annoying, but, uh, we worked, she took pictures and I had another computer set up and it worked out. Okay. Uh, we had all gone to, um, on the virtual Seder, just, you know, watching cause, um, she wasn't with her family, which normally be, but, uh, you know, it went pretty good. Everybody's been doing it. I suppose people had their virtual Easter on Sunday and everything too. But it was okay, but we only got to one half because then it said the Passover meal and then what we were going to do. I didn't have anything cooked. I, I made tacos because I didn't, I thought that was a shell. So it's good enough, I guess. Um, because I told you, I finally, or maybe I didn't tell you, I finally found meat at a store. So I was able to purchase some. I finally went to a grocery, but I put a mask on too. Anyway, whatever. This stuff isn't that exciting. Um, uh, but that, uh, you want to say about the virtual Seder, but what was the funny part? Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I went, right. So I went to this grocery. I, was, I go for a walk every day. And lately I've been going up to 71st Street and making a left and going down First Avenue, you know, taking like a nice walk, 20 blocks, 30 blocks, something like that, and uh, zipping around. And I finally, I saw this grocery store that's about seven blocks away from my house, but it was empty. So I'm like, I'm going to go in and I have the mask from the, hair doctor so i've just been putting that on and going to the store and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna shop and the shelves were all filled and i was able like i said i was able to find meat and i also bought some cereal because i've been eating cereal gonna go through phases i bought a box of rice krispies it was seven dollars and 29 cents now i've told you before how cereal in manhattan for some reason is so expensive and i get it at walmart because i was looking it up and i was gonna have it delivered it was two dollars $2 $2 for the same box of Rice Krispies. In fact, it was a bigger box of Rice Krispies. It was $2.29, uh, but they weren't going to deliver it till the end of April. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? But $7.29. And all the cereals were like that, not just Rice Krispies. They're, I just had to make a choice of what I, I, I could afford one box of cereal. I was going to buy two, you know, and really treat myself. I'm like, no, $7.29 is so ridiculous. When I know I can get this cheaper... But not in Manhattan. I don't know what it is about cereal that for some reason they can't maintain that on the island. $7.29. Can you imagine? It oh, just really makes me angry, you know. Um, I know what I wanted to play for you. So uh 
Oh, let's just, you know, have some laughs. Uh, I was watching the Paul Lynn show last Saturday, and I uh, got, you know, we're trying to find the clips in the Paul Lynn show where it's just pretty much gay. You know, that this gay man is acting as a straight man with a family, uh, but if the writers were smart, of course, they just add in some Paul Lynn-like lines, and so that's what happened here on this particular episode where uh, Tom Bosley came in as this congressman when he was trying to get his um, he was trying to get his account. Paul Lynn's an, uh, an attorney in the show, and this is this was one of the scenes I taped off the TV. How nice! Isn't it wonderful watching him march off to work with his hard hat and lunch pail? <laughs> Let's be on the lookout, Martha. I want to catch the fellas in Howie's carpool and invite him in for a beer. Uh huh. I get it. The congressman's son is part of Howie's carpool. Hmm? Well, a congressman's son gets thirsty, too, you know. <laughs> and maybe Willie can tell me what's cooking with his dad. Oh, there they are now. Uh, Martha, why don't you whip us something to go with the, uh, you know, the beer? Well, but what? what? Well, I don't know, just some kind of butch snack. <laughs> just some kind of butch snack? You know, what What uh, straight man is going to say that? <laughs> uh, get something to go with the beer. Even when he said beer, it didn't sound right. He bought beer because there were some construction workers coming around. So uh, he's like, not some sort of butch snack. Meanwhile, she comes out later with just sandwiches. I don't know what, but uh, I like that wine. And then there was this one. You're like a teenage girl waiting to be asked to the prom. Oh, Martha, that's ridiculous. But if he thinks... I have nothing better to do than sit around and wait for him. Paul, I'm sure he's going to ask you. And he'll probably bring you a lovely corsage. You're skating on thin ice, Martha. <laughs> That's like a B. Arthur line. You're skating on thin ice, Martha. Uh, I don't know. Isn't that funny? Uh, or is it not? No, it's funny, right? I mean, how could I not? I scour the show to find clips for you guys. You know what you hear now that... um. Everything is quiet in the city. There's not cars on the 59th Street Bridge or anything anymore. It's uh, You hear birds chirping all the time. It actually is um, very soothing. Even at nighttime, even late at night, you can hear birds chirping all the time. It's really funny when I have the windows open. Uh, I noticed it the other day just watching TV. I'm like, what is, what is, what is that, birds? Why would they, you know, is something wrong? You know, they're clearly chirping all the time. We just never hear them because there's so much noise and traffic 24-7. Uh, you know, you maybe hear them at five o'clock, six in the morning when it's sunrise. But yeah, even like one, two in the morning, I hear birds chirping all the time because there's just no traffic. You know, nobody's doing anything. Fascinating stuff or not, depending how you look at it. Um, so in watching TV late at night because my hours are so I'm trying to shift them back. Lately, I've been going to bed at three in the morning, waking up around 10 or 11 Whereas for a long time, I was going to bed at 7 in the morning and waking up at 2 or 3 in the afternoon. I, I like more daylight hours. So I'm trying to shift it, but it's difficult if you're just not sleepy. So uh, at 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning, I think Family Matters is on TBS, you know, the ones with Urkel. And, uh, well, it's it's so funny. I was watching – I mean, I guess I watched these shows when they were – First on, I really enjoyed that Urkel character. I knew right away, I'm like, this kid's hilarious. I don't know. So it was kind of funny, uh, let alone the fact that he single-handedly saved that show, you know, like Michael J. Fox. I mean, this, I mean, Michael J. Fox is supposed to be on the show, but I mean, it's like, it's, you know, when you see something like that, 
when there's a re- when there's one person why the show exists and that show would have been off the air for not for Irk, and certainly wouldn't have lasted like nine ten seasons and he was just supposed to do a guest shot and uh they're like this kid's amazing and he really was it, uh, and thank god he grew up like normal normal size and everything you know so it's not sad like different strokes and stuff and you know he had to, it was hard and not like michael jackson where he had to you know, maintain his voice or anything. You know, he, he the voice wasn't normal for him, like around season four or five. But you know, he was he was good at it. He kept up the best he could. Meanwhile, I had this super hot girlfriend that was completely in love with him that I used to love. She was so pretty. You know, we knew that she, he liked that one girl, Laura, but he, there was this other girl that was like really hot for him, and she remind she looked like an old girlfriend of mine. Uh, her name was Myra. And she was really cute. I mean, if you watch the old episodes, and she was really into him, and she just kept going up to him, making out with him all the time. It was hot, um, and she was sexy. Uh, I mean, she was little, but you know, she had these great eyes, and she just looked like my old girlfriend Sharon, who I've had on the podcast before, and she was just so cute. And um, yeah, I was just looking her up, and, and she died. Like she died early of like brain cancer. She died like twenty years ago. You know, I don't know. I was just looking up what she looked. You know, I want to look like what she looks like now because you know she's going to grow up hot. Yeah, she died like right, you know, down the street, like at Sloan Kettering or something. Of uh, uh, it was so sad. You know, I mean, yeah. Sorry, I took uh, fun times to talk about that, and, but it was just so weird. I'm like, oh my god, she's dead, and she died a long time ago. I was wondering what happened to her because usually, uh, you know, some you know, see, you know, well, you want to see if they grow up, uh, how they grow up. You know, they have. I mean, that's anytime you choose, go on CNN. Right at the bottom, they see what they look like now. It's not just me. He was fascinated by that kind of stuff. Uh, so that was said. But meanwhile, there was an episode that um, Urkel's Aunt Una came in, and it was played by Donna Summer, and she was playing a nerd. You know, again, his Aunt Una, and she was like, you know, wearing the glasses and everything. And I'm like, well, let me let me watch this because uh, they said uh, they enter a karaoke contest and I've never seen this episode in my life, but I say there's no way I got to watch this full episode because I really didn't want to watch it, but there's no way you're going to have, there's no way that this episode doesn't end with all of a sudden her blossoming into this unbelievable singer. It, it, Again, look at the description. It says Donna Summer and the gang is doing a karaoke contest to win money for something. You clearly know how it's going to end. And I guess I'm sitting there going like, it better end like this. They better not, you know, you better not have Donna Summer as a guest star just, um, doing an acting job, you know, in a stupid show like this. You better be bringing her on to sing something classic. Uh, you know, maybe if you had Cher on, you could make a play where it'd be like, all right, she's just going to, you know, it's to share. She's Cher. She's a fucking icon. But Donna Summer, she doesn't come on and do something uh, terrific. You're disappointing everybody that's ever been watching this show. And, of course, lo and behold, uh, they're going to lose the karaoke thing because uh, somebody came on and win these, and they need $1,000 to fix their house because one of the idiots uh, drove into the house, whatever it is. And uh, Urkel goes, no, uh, my Aunt Una can do it. I've heard her sing. And everybody's like, no. And she's all dressed up meek and everything. And all of a sudden, they they give her a makeover. And she comes out, you know, with her hair and everything. And still sounds meek. But then she hits it with the song. And, you know. Hey, my 
even worth a dime a dance. She's doing her Aunt Una character. And then, of course, they're all sitting there like, what? Please, everybody. This is my last chance. For romance. Oh, it's getting, what? That's right. They're all sitting there. What is going on? Oh! That's when they make the cut. Al the cop from uh, Die Hard is like, what? What is? What is going on? Come on, everybody! She's still in character. tonight I like when people karaoke to their own song there is something hilarious about that the best part just like in uh, that thing you do well clearly we have a winner there's not even a <laughs> there's not even a vote oh my god she got the check now the Winslows are all coming on stage only sang to help you out, so I want you to have this check. Oh, I couldn't. Oh, but I insist. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Aunt Una. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, uh, son, and speaking of thanks, thank you, son. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's bring it back. That's how you end the show. Yeah. Urkel's the greatest. Tonight. Oh. <laughs> I wanted more. Uh, oh, God, I miss sitcoms from the 90s and 80s. That's when they knew how to really put on a show. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're not going to see that on the Big Bang Theory, you know? And, you know, uh, I saw an episode also where that guy Eddie was dating um, Shanice who I used to like, I think, from the 90s. When she had that great song. I love I, Sometimes I still sing this. They were dating. It was hot. What happened to her? I love your smile. Yeah. 
Remember this song? I used to love this song. I think she was playing another character, too. She wasn't playing Shanice. She was playing like a movie star who sang also. I don't know why I remember this song or why I knew it was Shanice when I saw the episode. <laughs> or maybe it was, it must have been on the uh, the information because I wouldn't, I don't think I'd recognize Shanice if I, well maybe I would, she was really pretty. This song goes nowhere, still entertaining though. Do you even need Shanice for this song? She doesn't really... They could, probably could have had me sing this song. It would have been just as popular. No, you need Shanice because she does that... She's like the best at that. Listen, Mike Sauter, if you do one of those bumpers again and you start playing this, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's like that honeymoon. If my wife Trixie tells me, if she says, I told you so, I'll wrap her in the mouth. <laughs> I think we need to play this song now, right? Something, I want something happy and peppy, you know. None of this, none of this lover's lament crap. Okay. I quit. I quit. I quit, Mr. White. The Wonders are in a breach of contract. I've lost my mind. But I love your smile, everybody. Hey, Nightfly listeners, I love your smile. Yeah, here comes the rap part. You had to put it in the 90s. I but after that, my whole run is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's the, uh, the saxophone you had to have in any 80s, 90s instrumental piece, which doesn't exist anymore. I don't think any rap songs that have any kind of melody, metal, melody have a, a horn section anymore. Should we bring that back or No. And you tell Meghan Markle she can shove it up her ass. Oh, Your Majesty, calm down about that. I can't believe I played that whole song. What the hell's the matter with me? I don't know. Yeah, I like it. I love your smile. Shanice. <laughs> what is the matter with me? Well, you know, what are we doing? I'm making an extra long podcast now because, you know, I got nothing but time. You got nothing at time. 
nothing but time. Might as well just go for it all. Am I right or am I right? You're damn straight I'm right. I mean, I can only, yeah, I have to go until at least 7 p.m. Uh, well, it's much earlier, but I'm saying that I this is about, about 4 o'clock now, uh, actual time. So I have three hours before you know, I got to bang the pots outside. <laughs> I uh, So it's my friend Katie. This is interesting. My friend Katie, who I've known since she was 18, is now 40 or so, still gorgeous, and uh, we're still friends. She was a waitress at Catch Rising Star, known her for years, and it was her birthday on April 9th, and I called her, and she lives in Orlando, and so I've told you about her before because I spend a lot of time with her and her family, and she's a delight, but she's a very hard worker, went to FIT for fragrances i mean that's what she wanted to she majored in that you know like uh whatever you know perfume and stuff like that fragrances and she does now what she went to school for which i've always i think i've talked about it because it's very rare when some, when you go to school for something to actually be in the profession you know unless you go into law uh or you know medicine but uh so she works at a, a very big fragrance company down in florida and she commutes every day you know every uh Tuesday, whatever, to Fort Lauderdale because that's where she was working and then they moved to Atlanta so she's working from home but she's a manager and she's got all these people under her and stuff and I was shocked, shocked <laughs> that she told me she was still working and that she was an essential worker and I'm like, uh, no offense, dipshit, but uh, when did perfume because nobody's wearing perfume. I haven't used my cologne in a month. The hell do I need it for? She goes, well, and you guys probably know what's coming. I was being naive. I, I never thought we also make cleaning products and we make hand sanitizer. And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know. You guys are listening now. You're like, what an asshole. <laughs> but yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that somebody who works in fragrances would have to be in a, considered an essential worker. And uh, yeah, they make hand sanitizer and cleaning products. So they have to stay in work. So she's been working nonstop. A lot of the people I know that have been working from home have been working harder than they were working at their regular jobs at the office. But she told me the cutest thing. They bought or, or they they adopted a, a dog, a puppy. Because uh, they had their dog family and they got uh, the dog died and they got another one. They just adopted one. And she told me and sent me. Um, oh, I have it on my phone. I don't want to get it now. But she sent me the dog contract that her and her husband made for the children, or the, it's clearly in the children's writing. They when they said if we get a dog, you have to take care of. You know, you got to just do some stuff with it. You can't just, you know, it's got to be trained and everything. You don't have to go crazy, but you got to do some stuff. You know, your kids are like, come on, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Um, so they made a contract, and they all had to sign it. They have you know space for three signatures for the for the whole family, but mostly the three kids. And they signed it. It's the most adorable thing I've ever seen. Uh, you know, we will clean it. We will do it. You know, whatever. And and it was. I said, you got to send that to me. That is truly the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And it was really cute. And that's the kind of stuff you want to hear about at this point. Meanwhile, she's like, "Oh, we're really suffering down here. Kids, get in your bathing suits. We're all going to go in the water. You <laughs> know, they got a pool, but they got it. Like it's a small pool, and you know, everybody in Orlando has a pool." Uh, over a covering, you know, it's like not outdoors, outdoors. So 
It, it looks like an indoor pool, but it's not indoors. But uh, that's all right. That's why you moved to Florida, so you can have a pool. It's like a small pool, and they live in a nice, you know, small house. It's a ranch house, but uh, you know, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant community. It's nice and clean. I like it down there. But she said, "Yeah, the kids don't can't play with any of their friends. They can go outside and play, but they can't play with any of their friends." I mean, I assume all the kids are the same way, but at least they can go outside. And can you imagine being able to like swim and stuff? That must be nice, I guess. I mean, I like that story. I thought that was. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, who would have thought doormen would be essential, you know? But I guess it makes sense. I guess somebody's got to take the packages. I don't know, something nobody ever thought of before. Um. Oh, you know, uh, God, you know, uh, about two weeks ago, we didn't talk about it on the around the you know the last week when the call-in show happened, there was a cruise ship uh, trying to dock in Florida, and they're like, we don't want you. We're not going to let you dock here. And you say to yourself, am I crazy? Who the hell is taking a cruise? I say, yeah, ship them back to wherever they came from. Are they kidding? They finally did let them dock. There were two cruise ships. or Yeah, there were two. And they let them dock in Florida, finally. But they were like, why do we want to let them dock here? We know people on the cruise ship have the coronavirus. They've been tested. Who the fuck was on a cruise on March 31st or April 1st? Who the fuck was on a cruise? They're like, well, the cruise started on March 1st. I'm like, I don't care when the cruise started. It started from Argentina. And and they have this woman saying, my parents are on that cruise. I want to get them off. Well, you know, they have her on the news. And I'm like, well, you're the worst kid ever then. You're telling your parents. Because by March 15th, if that cruise must have been stopping in ports, number one, if the cruise wasn't stopping in ports and was making a beeline from Argentina to Florida, how did they not stop by March 15th? How did they not say, we got to cancel the cruise? We're going to stop here and you can all fly home. You know what I'm saying? Okay, exhibit B. How did the kids that have a parent on board not say, listen, because this is exactly what me and my sister would say if my mother was ever on a cruise and she's never been on a cruise, I don't think. We'd say, listen, on March 13th, we'd say, you need to stop at the next port and get off and fly home. Because things you can't be on that cruise. You got to get off. And if she didn't listen, that's on her. But I mean, you can't have a kid complaining who's saying like, it's not fair. They won't let them dock. No, it's fair. Who the fuck is on a cruise on April 1st? Because by that time, the whole world knew things were bad. How are you an American anywhere in the world? What, you're not getting communications on the cruise? Your kids aren't calling in? Yes, they were. By that time, everything was locked down. Okay, at least by St. Patrick's Day, you're getting your parents off a goddamn cruise. I don't understand. I feel like I'm missing something about that story. The reporting was horrible on it. I wanted to know where it did. They didn't have any information on where it started, why those people were still on the cruise. Horrible reporting. Now I'm all about fake news, too, after hearing my friend's story about the times. I don't like that. And I totally usually respect the times. Now I'm angry. Also, I heard like some of the Kennedys, the Kennedys died in the Chesapeake Bay. They got pulled out. They were, I don't know, they were grabbed or something on a boat or something. First of all, I don't know what the deal with the Kennedys is and how they always keep dying in boating accidents. But I don't know, if, if I was a Kennedy, I would never go on a boat and I'd never 
go in the Chesapeake Bay. Clearly, that is a sore spot for anybody with the last name Kennedy. I mean, that's also a strange story, too, which wasn't reported well enough to find out what the fuck is with the Kennedys and that Chesapeake Bay. No Kennedy should ever be on a boat. Thank you. Uh, I'm just trying to see if I had any other things I wanted to talk about today. I'll talk about that next time. Um, No, I think we covered everything today. Yeah, I guess we did. I mean, could I talk longer? You're damn right I could talk longer. I choose not to. Um, But no, I guess, yeah, that's about it. Certainly there's uh, nothing coming up. I was going to have Sarah come on the phone for a couple of minutes, talk about Adam, but she's not ready yet. Clearly, I'm not ready yet. It's really too sad. Um, And again, you know, I really just don't like the phone connection, but for five minutes, I guess it'll be all right with lots of people. So maybe next week we'll have uh, maybe Rachel Feinstein call in, uh, tell us what it's like being pregnant now. That's got to be terrifying. Uh, Thank God she's married to a fire, you know, captain. That's got to be helpful. Can you imagine just being married to me during this time being pregnant? I don't know if I can handle the uh, responsibility of being a husband uh, at this time. You know, I don't know. Um, except I do have a lot of connections. I'm sure I could work something out. But, uh, yeah, I was just, just looking at my notes again. I'm sorry. Um, so tonight, you know, it's uh, taping on Saturday. I get that 5 o'clock, that lady from who plays the piano until 7. That's... That's always good to look forward to. Um, I'm going to pay some bills today because uh, she makes me happy that I feel like I can. Because you know, again, you just nobody wants to look at their bank accounts or you know real stuff. I'm going to pay some of my rent because I just can't can't afford the whole thing. There's no money coming in. That's from Aaron Brockovich. That's what I was thinking. I was like, there's no money coming in. I'm going to have to put a second mortgage on the house, and she's like, so so. But I don't have a second house or a second mortgage I can do. But, you know, come up with something, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. I can't think of anything else. Uh, hopefully by next week, more people won't die, uh, at least in this Nightfly universe. And uh, we can just, you know, kind of do a regular show the best we can. I mean, yes, listen, it's tough. I don't want to leave on a bad note, but it's tough. Um, you know, deal, you know. I keep thinking I'm with Adam. I just keep thinking I'm like, you know, I, just, I, I deal with death much better than most people. I don't usually care, but I just kept thinking I'm like, I can't believe he's, I can't believe he's dead. I just can't believe it. You know, and that's why it was very tough. You know, I watched too many videos yesterday, and that's why I was just like, this sucks. This sucks. You know, you watch some of the Fountains of Wayne videos. You listen to the songs. You know, he mo- wrote most of them. Um, he didn't, you know, he co-wrote the others and, and, and then just that thing do and all, all that kind of stuff. And the stuff we played with Hugh Grant, you're just like, what a loss. What a loss. There's just so much footage, uh, in that sense. Even the music videos, and they're so good. Every song is so entertaining. My God. But they made a lot of music videos and it's great to see Adam in it just as a, as a rock star, you know, when I didn't know him. And, uh, it's just exciting. Oh, uh, forgot to tell you. John Ham just rented Turbocharge. So uh, again, thank you, David Curry and uh, Donna Neal. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I told Sarah, I'm like, if he makes it past the ten minute mark, I'll give him a five dollar. I'll give him a five dollar rebate. <laughs> uh, yeah, just um, so we'll see what he thinks. Uh, that's when you know things have turned a corner where people have run out of things to do. And I said, listen, John Ham, you get out of this house right now. <laughs> like the Larry David episode. My God, that was so funny. Maybe I'll watch that again. That always cheers me up. But I haven't been like really depressed or anything. I mean, I should be. But again, the thing is, I've been doing this for a year and way after that. And I've been alone a long time just watching TV and eating. And now the fact that everybody else is doing it and I'm not missing anything. It's not that horrible for me. That is our show for today. I hope everybody is uh, doing okay. Probably another few weeks left before uh, we get some sort of decision on what we're doing. I mean, look, everybody see, they're all listening to Dave Jeskow. They're saying, I'm going to maybe take the restrictions off May 1st. That's what I said, May 1st. May 1st. I mean, is it time? No. All right. Can we push? If we push the June 1st, everything would be fine. But you know what the thing is? Like they say, it's coming back in the fall and all that kind of stuff. I say we open everything May 1st and just take our shot and pull a boy in the plastic bubble. Let's just say, if they say 80% of the planet's going to get the virus anyway, we might as well. What are we waiting for? You know, people are going to die and some and everybody's going to get it. They're going to get it in some form or another. I think we got to go out and take our chances. The economy can't take it. And uh, I don't think it's not even being about cooped up. It's just about how is the planet going to survive without anything happening got to all do our share even if it's just doing stupid stand-up shows to make people laugh uh so that's our story let's see if uh i'm right or we're gonna push it into june i don't know but right now i'm uh enjoying just watching tv and eating and probably throw some exercise in there you should too i really hope everybody's feeling okay or the best they can and you still will always have the Nightfly podcast. It'll never die until I do. So join us every Tuesday. And if you want to listen to the Adam Schlesinger stuff, like I said, there's uh, two episodes. The one that called That Thing Adam Schlesinger Does. And, of course, the uh, Christmas Party with the Monkeys where he was actually in the studio. And maybe I'll combine the two just to make a little, a little tribute. So we'll see. Anyway, uh, I'll see everybody next week. By the way, thank you so much, everybody, for calling in last week. It really made my day. When I finished the podcast, I felt really in a great mood. And you guys all did that for me. And I really, really appreciate it. Maybe we did it for each other. Uh, But I can't tell you how uh, wonderful it was to go a full two hours with everybody calling in and and just listening to everybody you're playing games and doing whatever we do so once again this is Dave Troskow signing off on another episode of The Nightfly we'll see everybody next week have a great one everybody good night there's only one way